Peace be upon you. So a crucial test that every soul will have to face is to see if it's willing to follow the truth in the face of bigotry, bias, and prejudice, or any other ailments that a person holds on to. I remember when I first got the message to follow the Quran alone, worship God alone, and to reject any hadith and sunnah and all these false attributions to God's religion. I was in college, and I met someone who identified as a submitter, and they gave me the translation of the Quran by Rashad Khalifa. And at the onset, I was completely uh, turned off by it. Uh, it was so contrary to what I believed and how I was raised and my understanding going to Muslim uh, Sunday school and uh, Muslim youth camp and just being part of the, uh, the, the, the local mosque. And what I realized was that every argument I had against the translation, against following the Quran alone, uh, against this ideology of mentioning only God in our shahada, in our salat, that I was fundamentally wrong. And after six months of research, I came to wholeheartedly accept the teachings of following the Quran alone and worshiping God alone and not associating any idols with God. This includes that when I make the Shahada, I only mention God's name. That when I do my Salat, I only mention God's name. That I never set up anyone beside God. And it was such a revelation for me. The fact that I was so blinded by this, that I spent all these years going to these traditional institutions and just accepted what they taught me as fact. And it wasn't until I started studying the Quran for myself that I realized so much of this nonsense they were teaching had no Quranic basis. And this is a fundamental test every single person will have to endure. Are they willing to put aside their bigotry, their bias, their prejudice in order to accept the truth when it comes to them. The most classic example of this is that of Satan. When God wanted to expose Satan's true convictions, he created this lowly creature made out of mud and had all the angels commanded to prostrate before Adam. And it was at this moment that Satan became exposed that he refused to follow God's command because of this creature made out of mud. And we read the response in Surah 7 verse 12. It reads, He, God, said, What prevented you from prostrating when I ordered you? He, Satan, said, I am better than he. You created me from fire and created him from mud. So Satan's true convictions were exposed because he had this bias, this prejudice, this hatred towards Adam that he was willing to defy God's clear commandments of what was expected from him. We see a similar example in the case of Pharaoh. Pharaoh enslaved the children of Israel. But who did God send to Pharaoh to deliver God's warnings and God's message? It was two individuals from the children of Israel, Aaron and Moses. Now naturally, this was going to be a reservation for Pharaoh and his people because they viewed this category, this tribe as slaves, as less than them as being Egyptian. And it reads in Surah 23, verse 45 through 48, it says, Then we sent Moses and his brother Aaron with our revelations and a profound proof to Pharaoh and his elders. But they turned arrogant. They were oppressive people. They said, Shall we believe for two men whose people are our slaves? They rejected the two and consequently they were annihilated. So they could not get past this aspect 
that God chose to give his revelations to two individuals from a group that they were oppressing because they believed they were better than them. Why would God give them the message as opposed to him? We see that it wasn't just the fact that they were from the children of Israel. It's fascinating. Moses himself said his tongue gets tied, that he has some sort of speech impediment. And God chose him as the vessel to deliver this message to Pharaoh to expose his arrogance. That Pharaoh could not see past that facade. That he sees two individuals that again, he identifies them as slaves. He, uh, he mocks them. And not only that, Moses himself has a speech impediment. In Surah 43 verse 52, it says, Pharaoh said, Which one is better, me or the one who is lowly and can hardly speak? So again, we're seeing that these are obstacles that God is allowing to take place in order to test these individuals, to bring out their true convictions. That if this was presented to them by angels carrying a golden platter and everything was illuminated and it was wealth and power, that while something like this might cause more people to give the persona that they're accepting the message. But the reality is, are they sincere? Because someone who's sincere will accept the message irrespective of the vessel. One of my favorite examples of this is the experiment that was conducted by Joshua Bell, famous uh, violinist. And this guy, he goes and puts on shows and, you know, people spend thousands of dollars to come watch him. So one day he's in the uh, DC uh, subway and he's just in a baseball cap and a, a hat, looks like a normal person, a street performer, pulls out his violin, starts playing. And no one stops by. No one stops to acknowledge what a phenomenal uh, performance he's giving. Uh, they don't realize that he's holding a violin that I believe is estimated like seven million dollars or something of that sort. And it's because he's not surrounded by this prestige, this the, the concert, the tuxedo, and he looks like an average person. And because of that, they disregard him. This is one of the criteria of the messengers. God says that did they not walk in the markets, right, and eat food, that these are not magical beings. These are individuals that look like you and me. But in these specific circumstances, God actually made them appear lower, made them appear uh, less uh, prominent in society in order to test these individuals. We see the same thing with Muhammad. One of the criticisms in the Quran from his people towards him was that he was not a prominent individual. It reads in Surah 43, verse 31, it says, They said, if only this Quran was sent down through another man from the two communities who was prominent, that that was a, they're saying, look, this orphan, this individual got God's message. He's the one who's going to come clarify this for us. They were in denial about it because, again, of the facade of who they saw, that God could choose anyone from among his servants to be his messenger, to go and deliver his message to the people. And this was a hindrance from individuals accepting the message. But it was to weed out those who were sincere from those who were insincere. We see that Muhammad himself was guilty of this. And this goes to show that none of us are able to avoid our natural biases that we have. In Surah 80, it's entitled, He Frowned. It reads, He, Muhammad, frowned and turned away when the blind man came to him. How do you know he may purify himself or he may take heed and benefit from the message? As for the rich man, you gave him your attention, even though you could not guarantee his salvation. The one who came to you eagerly and was really reverent, you ignored him. 
So here is the prophet himself, a righteous individual, falling into that same trap that when he's going and conveying the message to the people, he's giving his attention towards those who are rich, those who are prominent and neglecting the one who might not look the part. But deep down, the soul is more righteous than the other individual. And this just goes to show that we are all guilty of this. This is not something that we can just say, hey, this doesn't affect me. We all have these biases towards individuals and how we react to them. That if God is trying to present us a message, to try to present us a, the truth, some sort of insight, that we have to take heed. We can't be tricked by what we see from the exterior, from realizing the contents of what's there. And we see this come full circle back to the children of Israel. One of the questions is, why did the Quran come down in Arabic? Why was it sent to the Arab people? Because just like God sent the children of Israel to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, these individuals that they looked down upon, God sent the final scripture to the Arabs, those who the children of Israel looked down upon. And it's interesting because out of all the prophets mentioned in the Quran, the one that's mentioned the most is that of Moses. And the tribe, the group of people that's mentioned the most is that of the children of Israel. I mean that this Quran is more for the children of Israel than it is for almost any other group. But they are the first to reject this Quran because they have this negative sentiment towards Arabs, towards those individuals who came from the lineage of Ishmael. To the point that they say that Ishmael is Abraham's illegitimate son. That they want to deny that God would send his blessings to someone from that lineage. Now, they have been blessed with many prophets and many messengers. But God chose that for his final scripture, for it to be sent into the desert of Arabia. This is not a prominent location where you have scholars and amazing monuments and a rich culture. This region has been neglected for generations. And God chose to send his final scripture to these people in Arabic. Something that, again, a lot of people, if they're insincere, they're going to have a visceral response to it. I mean, you think about this. How many people, just the, the mention of the Quran, they're turned off. The mention of anything Arabic, they're turned off. And this is a test for them. Are they able to put aside their bigotry, their bias, their prejudice, and read the words of God for themselves? Or does that become too much of a barrier for them? Because they've now drummed up so much negative connotations towards these people. Some with merit. I mean, you hear about what some of these people do in the name of God, in the name of Quran, in the name of this religion, that they're going to have this visceral response against it. But funny enough, those people don't follow the Quran. Yeah, they'll memorize it. Yeah, they'll recite verses, but they won't understand a single verse. They're mostly reciting it in a language they don't themselves even understand. So you can imagine how much of a test this is, not just for everyday people, but specifically for the children of Israel, to the point that God says this is one of the criteria for obtaining God's mercy for the children of Israel. In Surah 7, verse 156 through 158, it reads, Moses said, And decree for us righteousness in this world and in the hereafter. We have repented to you. So this is Moses imploring God for repentance for the sins of the children of Israel. And God responds, he says, My retribution befalls whomever I will, but my mercy encompasses all things. However, I will specify it for those who, one, lead a righteous life, 
2. Give the obligatory charity zakat. 3. Believe in our revelations. And 4. Follow the messenger, the Gentile prophet Muhammad, whom they find written in their Torah and Gospel. He exhorts them to be righteous, enjoins them from evil, allows for them all good food, and prohibits that which is bad, and unloads the burdens and shackles imposed upon them. Those who believe in him, respect him, support him, and follow the light that came with him are the successful ones. So here is God telling the children of Israel that if they want to have God's mercy, they need to follow the Gentile prophet. Now it's interesting, Arabs themselves, they've taken this word ummi, and they said that this means the illiterate prophet. But you'll see that this word throughout the Quran is in the context of someone who's a Gentile. Because the belief is that if you're not of the children of Israel, if you're not of Jewish faith, therefore you're a Gentile. This is the reason it's such a test for the children of Israel. It's not a test for them to follow someone if he was illiterate. The test is, to are they willing to follow someone they deem inferior, they deem a Gentile? And it continues in 7158, it says, Say, O people, I am God's messenger to all of you. To him belongs the sovereignty of the heavens and the earth. There is no other God beside he. He controls life and death. Therefore, you shall believe in God and his messenger, the Gentile prophet who believes in God and his words. Follow him that you may be guided. This is God asking the children of Israel that if they wish to be guided, that if they wish to have God's mercy, they need to put their prejudice, their bias, their preconceived notions aside and look at the Quran for what it is. And the second they do that, God says that they will recognize it as if they recognize their own children. But so many people will never even open up that book to try to read it and understand it for themselves because the second that they say that, oh, this is a Muslim book, this is an Arab book, that they forget that this is a message to the entire world. Now, funny enough, even the Arabs were tested with the children of Israel because just as much resentment that the children of Israel have towards the Arabs, the Arabs are just as guilty towards their resentment towards the children of Israel. And this was a test that was utilized during the time of the prophet. So we have the example in the Quran of the messenger changing the direction of the Ghibla momentarily. And while it doesn't say specifically in the Quran, the belief is that the Ghibla originally was towards Mecca and for an interim, God commanded the messenger to change it towards Jerusalem. And this was to expose the bigotry and the uh, prejudice these individuals had that they were not willing to follow God and his messenger and were going to stick to their bias and their prejudice and renounce the religion over such matters. In Surah 2 verse 142 through 143, it reads, The fools among the people would say, Why did they change the direction of their qibla? Say, to God belongs the east and the west. He guides whoever wills in a straight path. I forgot to mention, the, the qibla is basically the direction of prayer when someone is performing their salat. So it continues in 2.143, it reads, We thus made you an impartial community that you may serve as a witness among the people, and the messenger serves as a witness among you. We changed the direction of your original qibla only to distinguish those among you who readily follow the messenger from those who had turned back on their heels. It was a difficult test, but not for those who are guided by God. God never puts your worship to waste. God is compassionate towards the people, most merciful. So this was a test for the people. Were they willing 
to put their bias or prejudice aside and follow the words of God. This is no different than when God told the angels to fall prostrate and Satan was exposed. That when God gives us a commandment, we don't care about these frivolous matters that we use to distinguish us in this world. We care only about fulfilling the commands of God. That if God decides to give His scripture, His message to anyone in any shape, in any form of any background, that we accept it, not because of the individual, but because it is from God. So why do people follow their bias despite the detriment it causes them? What do they gain out of this? What we see is that consistently, the reason that this happens is due to jealousy. These are individuals who believe in God, who follow God's scriptures. But the thought that God would choose to give his scripture, his knowledge, his information, his blessing of messengership, of prophethood to someone they deem inferior makes them jealous. It makes them upset. Now, God uses different words for the concept of jealousy. And a couple times it uses the concept of to covet to, you know, be kind of envious of what someone else has. Uh, there's another expression that if you translate it literally, it says, do not extend your eyes in the sense of like kind of looking at somewhere else as the grass is greener on that side. And then there's another form of, uh, it says that God will remove the jealousy from their hearts for the believers in the day of judgment in paradise. But this word is more aligned with almost like bitterness or resentment. But the word bagayan, which is used consistently in the Quran to signify jealousy, occurs the most frequently, and it's always in the context of people who are jealous that God should bestow His blessing upon someone they deem inferior. We see this uh, word, Bagayan, used one, two, three, four, five, five times in the Quran, and every time it's the same. In Surah 3, verse 19, it says, the only religion approved by God is submission, Islam. Ironically, those who receive the scripture are the ones who dispute this fact, despite the knowledge they have received due to jealousy, Bahayan, for such rejectors of God's revelations. God is most strict in reckoning. So here's people that they accept that the only acceptable religion is submission, submitting to the will of God. Yet they dispute and they fight. Why? Because of jealousy that God should bestow his knowledge upon who he chooses. In Surah 2, verse 19, 90, it reads, Miserable indeed is what they sold their souls for, for rejecting these revelations of God out of sheer resentment, and same, same word, bagayan, jealousy, that God should bestow His grace upon whomever He chooses from among His servants. Consequently, they incurred the wrath upon wrath that disbelievers have incurred a humiliating retribution. The next verse is in Surah 2, verse 213. It says, The people used to be one community when God sent the prophets as bearers of good news as well as warners. He sent down with them the scripture bearing the truth to judge among the people in their disputes. Ironically, those who received the scripture were the ones who rejected any new scripture despite the clear proofs given to them. This is due to jealousy on their part. God guides who, those who believe in the truth that is disputed by all others in accordance with His will. God guides whoever wills in a straight path. And we see this consistently. It's always this word is used in conjunction to those who reject the scripture because God chose to give it to a different people that they deemed inferior. 
And this jealousy is what causes people to be blinded by their prejudice, their bias from accepting the information that God chose to give. So how do we overcome this bias? Obviously, the very first thing anyone needs to do is admit that they have this bias. Now, ironically enough, most people won't make that uh, admission. And there's a simple way to allow us to see the truth, to realize, to recognize when we have this bias. And that is through the form of cognitive dissonance. Because someone is going to believe that, no, they're only making logical decisions. They're not rejecting information because of the, the exterior look of it, that they're totally unbiased individual. And I think one of the classic examples of being able to show someone their biases is this little trick that they do always around political uh, season. So what they do is they go to a group of people, an adamant supporter. So let's say you're a, a Biden supporter or a Trump supporter or in the past a Hillary supporter. And what they'll say is they'll say, hey, we have these quotes from the other party. So in these uh, instances, you can go on YouTube, you can find tons of them. They went to uh, Biden supporters and they said, what do you think about these racist um, uh, quotes from Trump? And so they read the quotes and the people are disgusted and they're outraged. And then they tell them, they said, actually, these were Biden quotes. And it's at that moment that these individuals have a sense of clarity that, oh, okay, maybe my assessment of you know this presidential candidate was different than what I perceived before. Maybe I need to reassess. Jimmy Kimmel did a bunch of these in the last election between Trump and Hillary. And he had a quote that says, it doesn't matter what was said, it matters to people which candidate said it. In order to prove this point, he went to a Hillary Clinton rally and he had the person read quotes from President Trump saying that it was from Hillary Clinton to see what people would say. So the first quote was, I see improved relations with Russia from a position of strength only as possible. And they said, oh, this uh, came from Hillary Clinton. What do you think about it? And people are like, yeah, absolutely. I agree with this. This is uh, uh, well said. The next quote was, immigration is a privilege and we should not let anyone into this country who doesn't support our communities, all our communities. And it's funny, again, these are Trump quotes and they're told that they're from Hillary and these people are uh, gushing over how much they love this quote and how much they agree with it. Um, and it continues the other quote from Trump that they said was from Hillary. It says, in order to achieve the American dream, let people keep more money in their pockets and increase after-tax wages. And, you know, people are like, that's a great idea. Uh, Hillary's so smart. Uh, it continues going and says, I've never seen a thin person drinking Diet Coke. And they told her it's from Hillary. And the person is like, yeah, that's true. I noticed that myself. And then they, they confront these people and they say, hey, look, these quotes were actually from Trump. And you could see the wheels turning in their head that, oh, my God, what was I saying? Um, and it's at that moment, that pivotal moment when you have this cognitive dissonance that you're able to adequately reassess your understanding your information, your take on the world. And an awesome example in the Quran that encompasses this lesson is in the history of Abraham. When Abraham was a youth, the people around him worshipped statues, and he wanted to demonstrate to them that they were worshipping things that not only they carved in, with their own hands, that these objects couldn't benefit or even harm them. So it reads in Surah 21, verse 51, it reads, Before that we granted Abraham his guidance and understanding, for we were fully aware of him. He said to his father and his people, What are these statues which you are devoting yourselves? They said, We found our parents worshipping them. And he said, Indeed, you and your parents have gone totally astray. 
They said, are you telling us the truth or are you playing? He said, your only Lord is the Lord of the heavens and the earth who created them. This is the testimony to which I bear witness. I swear by God, I have a plan to deal with your statues as soon as you leave. He broke them into pieces except for a big one that they may refer to it. They said, whoever did this to our gods is really a transgressor. They said, we heard a youth threaten them. He is called Abraham. They said, bring him before the eyes of all the people that they may bear witness. They said, did you do this to our gods, O Abraham? He said, it is the big one who did it. Go ask them if they can speak. And this is the real crucial part. So it continues in Surah 21, verse 64. It says, they were taken aback and said to themselves, indeed, you are the ones who have been transgressing. So for that moment, they had clarity. They realized they were the ones who were setting up false gods next to the real God. That these statues that they created, they could not speak. They could not help them. They could not benefit. And it continues in 2165. It says, yet they reverted to their old ideas. You know full well these cannot speak. He, Abraham, said, Do you then worship besides God what possesses no power to benefit you or harm you? You have incurred shame by worshiping idols beside God. Do you not understand? So here we have this example that Abraham wanted to demonstrate to them their cognitive dissonance, that they create these statues with their own hands, and then they call them their gods. But when he destroys them, he asks them, hey, can they speak? Can they defend themselves? Why were they not able to stop Abraham from destroying them? That they realized that it was nonsense that they were following. And they had that moment of clarity where they could decide to reassess their understanding, reassess the message that God inspired through Abraham. But they chose to revert. They chose to go back to their old ideas. And rather than adjusting their belief system, they twisted reality. So it's at these crucial moments where all of a sudden we have this preconceived belief and we experience something in reality that completely contradicts this understanding that we have an opportunity to reassess our understanding. I heard this example. Imagine you had a worldview where you genuinely believed that vans cannot turn right. So one day you're crossing the street, you see a van coming towards you, you say, yeah, don't worry, it's not able to turn right. And boom, it hits you. You know, how many times would that have to happen for you to reassess that maybe your understanding that vans cannot turn right is incorrect and it needs to be reassessed? When someone opens up the Quran and they see consistently that God tells us that the Quran is complete, it's fully detailed, it has explanations for everything, that we shouldn't use any other source beside it, maybe that gives people a pause to reassess that if they're following Hadith and Sunnah and these extracurricular sources beside the Quran, that maybe they need to reassess if that is correct, because it's at these moments where we see this contradiction in our understanding, where we believe one thing in reality or the verses of God tell us something else, that we have to question maybe we need to reassess how we view the world. So by God's leave, when we experience cognitive dissonance, it's an opportunity for us to assess our reality. So what other method could we use to combat any prejudice or bias we might have when confronted with the truth? There's a concept known as falsification. What falsification means is that if someone has a claim, they need to be able to provide the criteria by which if the, the alternative is true, then therefore their claim is false. If someone cannot come up with a scenario by which they would need to see in order to falsify their claim, then it, their claim really doesn't hold any merit. And God utilizes this in the Quran. 
that one of the, the proofs to people who question the authenticity of the Quran uh, is stated in Surah 2, verse 23. It says, if you have any doubt regarding what we reveal to our servant, then produce one surah like these and call upon your witnesses against God if you are truthful. And we see a similar claim in 1038. It's, it says, if they say he fabricated it, say, then produce one surah like these and invite whoever you wish other than God if you are truthful. So this is the claim that God is putting inside the Quran to falsify, meaning that if an individual can create a surah like that is encompassed in the Quran that maintains the literary excellence, that maintains the scientific merit uh, of in, you know, information that's not currently known and is mathematically composed beyond what the Quran has, then we would be the first to follow it. So God is setting conditions by which individuals, if can be proven true, would prove the Quran false. Uh, an example of this is in Surah 4, verse 82. It says, Why do they not study the Quran carefully? If it were from other than God, they would have found in it numerous contradictions. And this is a simple way to disprove the scripture. It shows that there's contradictions in it. And to date, every time someone tries to identify a quote-unquote contradiction in the Quran, they end up being proven wrong. Uh, and this isn't just in regards to the contradictions between the verse, but it's the contradictions between the verses and reality. Uh, as we learn more, we our scientific understanding grows, we come to appreciate the verses of the Quran that much more. And this is further proof that this scripture is from God. So God is laying out the groundwork by which someone could try to falsify the Quran. And the hope is that as they attempt these different methods, they come to realize that the Quran is the truth. In Surah 28, verse 48 through 49, it reads, Now that the truth has come to them from us, they said, If only we could be given what was given to Moses. Did they not disbelieve in what was given to Moses in the past? They said, Both scriptures are works of magic that copied one another. They also said, We are disbelievers in both of them. Say, then produce a scripture from God with better guidance than the two, so I can follow it if you are truthful. God is commanding the believers that if someone comes with a scripture with better guidance, it would be our obligation to follow it. But to date, the Quran is the best scripture we have as far as encompassing the difference between right and wrong and how to gain salvation in this world and in the hereafter. So let's start with the example of someone who believes that they need to follow additional sources beside that of the Quran. The question they have to ask themselves is what proof would they need to see inside the Quran to prove that statement false? For instance, do they need to see that God condemns Hadith, which he does numerous times in the Quran? Do they need to see the verses where it says, do not follow any other source beside the Quran? Because the second they open up this book and they are faced with this contradiction that they see, they can come to terms that the source we are to follow is that of the Quran alone. But there's one other method that's utilized in order to get someone to reassess their understanding. That despite the cognitive dissonance, despite setting criteria for falsification, there needs to be the motivation. We cannot change the minds of anyone. The individual has to make an active decision to explore, to search, to try to find the truth. And without this, they're inevitably blocked out from being able to see the truth. In Surah 13, verse 11, it reads, Shifts of angels take turns staying with each one of you. They're in front of you and behind you. They stay with you and guard you in accordance with God's commands. Thus, God does not change the condition of any people unless they themselves make the decision to change. If God wills any hardship for any people, no force can stop it, for they have none beside Him as Lord and Master. 
God is telling us in no uncertain terms that God does not change the condition of any people unless they themselves make the decision to change. We see this reiterated in Surah 8 verse 53. It says, God does not change a blessing he has bestowed upon any people unless they themselves decide to change. God is here omniscient. This is an individual decision each person has to make. There is no logic, reason, proof that anyone can show to change the mind of someone unless they're willing to explore and confront these topics. And until then, they're never going to be able to see the truth. Their own biases, their prejudices, their bigotry is going to block them from being able to accept any information. And um, I heard this quote recently that I thought was pretty applicable. It, it's a quote from the book, The Little Prince. And it goes like this. It says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up the men to gather wood and divide the work and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. What I love about this quote is that it shows that it's the motivation that determines the likeliness of someone following through with something. If someone is not motivated to go and find the truth, is not motivated to confront their biases, is not motivated to search for God's message, they'll never see it. And God willing, I'm going to finish this episode with a, a final verse. This is Surah 57, verse 16. It reads, Is it not time for those who believe to open up their hearts for God's message and the truth that is revealed herein? They should not be like the followers of the previous scriptures whose hearts became hardened with time and consequently many of them turned wicked. So God willing, let's take heed. Let's read the Quran and study it with a pure heart. Let's put our biases and prejudices aside and God willing, God will open up our hearts. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at QuranTalk at gmail.com. If you guys want to follow along the verses of the Quran, please download the Quran Study app on the iOS app store or go to the QuranStudyApp.com website. And if you like the podcast, please share it with other people. Leave us a review. Until next time, peace and God bless.